there's a lot about hair in Into the Woods. I don't, I'm, I'm speaking with two gentlemen who have none. This is the Gospel of Musical Theater, a priestly look at some of your favorite musicals with your hosts, Cathedral Deans and Musical Theater Queens, Nathan LaRude and Peter Elliott. Welcome to the Gospel of Musical Theater. I'm Nathan. I'm coming to you from Portland. Peter Elliott is with me on the call. Peter, you want to say hi? Hi. Hello from uh, springtime in Vancouver. And it is our huge thrill today to uh, welcome a special guest as we talk about Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. Uh, Our guest is Ed Bacon. Ed is a friend uh, of many years, was for a number of years the rector of All Saints in Pasadena, California, and is now in, I guess, retirement, whatever the hell that is, Ed. I mean, I'm sort of in the (laughs) same phase of life, and it's weird, Uh, living with his fabulous wife, Hope, in Birmingham, Alabama. And Ed is an enthusiast about Into the Woods and Stephen Sondheim. And when he said he'd come on our podcast, Nathan and I said, absolutely. So welcome, Ed. It's great to be with you this morning. So good to see you, Ed. And, and talk with us a little bit about why Sondheim, why Into the Woods? How did you, how did you come to, to discover this guy's music? So the Holy Spirit choreographer of my life, used Bernadette Peters. Have you all have heard, heard of her? Uh-huh. <laughs> rumors, dim rumors. Back Saint, when I was a kid. St. Bernadette. St. <laughs> Bernadette. When I was a kid, actually, um, I can't believe that that lady is looking so good and she's mm. got some miles on her too. Nevertheless, kind of like the, two, the, the three of us. Um, anyway, she sang and on Johnny Carson maybe or some somewhere and she cried while she was singing Mm. and i thought oh this is my kind of vocalist and i've got chill bumps right now it was that impactful Mm. do you remember what she sang do you remember what the song was i don't i wonder yeah i wish i did that would you know and i'm tempted to make something up yeah Um, Uh. but uh nevertheless every time i saw that she was singing you know on tv or something I listened and I noticed there was a pattern of kind of returning to Sondheim. And I thought, hmm. Now, my daughter is a gospel of musical theater type person, and she teaches um, choral music education, and she loves Sondheim. So we began to talk about and my son-in-law. So it was kind of more and more and more and pay attention, pay attention and the lessons are just profound. And I, I haven't learned everything I need to learn from Sondheim. There is so much richness there. So in a, in a nutshell, that's it. Yeah. And when, we, and when we asked if you wanted to come on the podcast, you, you, I think you, you requested, you said, are you doing Into the Woods? Could I come and talk about Into the Woods? Tell, tell, me, tell us a little bit about why that show and, and kind of what grabs you about this particular show. So... Uh, you know, I've watched a, a lot of tributes after uh, Stephen Sondheim died. Yeah. And um, some I've watched multiple times. I mean, that 80th birthday concert with the five soloists. And the ladies in red. Down. Yeah. Oh, isn't that an oh, amazing right. sequence? Yeah. So uh, the more I learned, the more I, I, I listened and learned, the more I saw that 
you know, I was gravitating to this particular collection mm -hmm. of songs that are in Into the Woods. And the title captivated me. And immediately I began to think into the wilderness, uh, into the Lent. Yeah. Um, and I got my theological reflection wheels turning very rapidly. And um, the, <laughs> I decided I really want to delve into this. And I bought the script and began reading you that. And then you guys asked me to do this. And I said, yes, into the woods. And so I've reread this script. I'm just very much taken with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've got a lot, a lot of stuff to, uh, a lot of depths to go uh, to in this musical. Yeah, it's a it's a dense script. It's a it's a philosophically informed, theologically informed. I don't I don't know what James Lapine's religious background or theological background is, but in some ways, it, I th I think you're right. Into the Woods um, is working with some big ideas Huge. about, as you say, wilderness, uh, abandonment, children, multi generational stuff, fathers and mothers, daughters and sons. Um, yeah, children and wandering and and what happens when your life falls apart in some ways i think that's that's really the kind of the central question um of into the woods peter peter you want to give us a little bit of a of a background on this be, on this i'd show? be thrilled to the the fairy tale musical in all yeah. sorts of ways and uh a musical that disrupts the whole notion of fairy tales and we'll certainly get to that so this is stephen sondheim's 13th broadway musical it's another collaboration with harold prince it won three Tony Awards uh, for Best Book by James Lapine, uh, Best Original Score by Stephen Sondheim, and Best uh, Actress uh, Joanna Gleason, uh, and seven additional nominations. It was the first collaboration with James Lapine, a second collaboration second. with James Lapine, I should say. And uh, uh, I'm sorry, I, uh, it is not a collaboration with Hal Prince at all. And let me just get that clear. Sorry, I misspoke. After Merrily We Roll Along, uh, Sondheim and Harold Prince had a, a separation, oh, the parting of the ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, in so many ways, James Lapine was the antithesis of Hal Prince. Mm -hmm. uh, Hal Prince, big Broadway musicals, uh, James Lapine coming to musical theater kind of as an outsider uh, from experimental theater and so forth. Uh, uh, Sondheim and James Lapine had put together Sunday in the Park with George, which Nathan and I have previously discussed, and then they moved on to Into the Woods. So we're in 1987, opening on November 5th, uh, closing on September 3rd, 1989, so running almost two years, 765 performances. Um, it was successfully adapted as a film by Rob Marshall in 2014, and it's important to say that it's uh, Sondheim's most frequently produced show. Um, a number of revivals, community theaters, high school groups, professional theaters, uh, literally all over the world have produced uh, Into the Woods. They originally, uh, Lapine and Sondheim, had imagined a show based on, they're gonna write a new fairy tale. And then Lapine reflecting on it said, well, this is so dumb to write an original when there are only 4 million fairy tales already. So they assembled, I kind of like to think of Into the Woods as kind of like your iTunes on random shuffle 
uh, in a certain <laughs> kind of way. You've got all sorts of characters from well-known fairy tales, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, Little Red Riding Hood, Rapunzel, Cinderella, etc., all from the Brothers Grimm. And Sondheim and Lapine were influenced by Bruno Bettelheim's Freudian exploration of fairy tales in his book, The Uses of Enchantment. And they're also deeply influenced by Carl Jung's theories about archetypes and the collective unconscious. And most of these fairy tales, you know, it's fascinating that we read these fairy tales to children still today. And I always thought that uh, uh, sort of a pun on the last name of the brothers Grimm, most of them are quite grim. They have pretty bizarre storylines. They There's death, there's, um, uh, there's disappointment, uh, there's a kind of uh, weirdness around these stories, but we tell them to children because uh, children will listen. So in one way, uh, Lapine and Sondheim created a kind of cautionary tale that went beyond simplistic stories of heroes and villains. They envisioned a more complex universe where witches told the truth, nice people lied, good people sometimes died. And they added in, and then I'll stop, another story that is of their own invention, a baker and his wife uh, who long for a child but can't have one. And into the woods we go, where all of these stories begin to intersect in strange and wonderful ways, ending with a happily ever after at the end of act one, and then a falling apart of it all in act two, Into the Woods. It's an amazing piece of work. Yeah. It takes fairy, place over three days. Fairy tales for adults, we might say. I think that's mm. in some ways, this is kind of, although, although beginning kind of, as you just kind of sketched out the act one, and then the act two structure, right? Act one being almost a sort of uh, complete little play, playlet, one act play in itself, playing around with a lot of the kind of fairy tale tropes, right? The first words you hear in the woods are, I wish. So you've got, you know, you've got Cinderella, Jack and the Beanstalk, Little Red Riding Hood, the baker and his wife, all kind of laying out for you in a very cardboardy almost sort of way, right? They're almost sort of archetypal uh, representations. I wish they tell you everything that they want right there. There's not a lot of uh, there's a lot of intricacy in that opening number, right? It's a very complicated number musically and lyrically, but not a lot of dramatic subtlety here, right? These are kind of innocents, we might say. All of them are innocents, telling you what they want, and then they're going to go into the woods to get it. Into the woods, it's time to go. I hate to leave. I have to, though. Into the woods, it's time. And so I must begin my journey. Into the woods and through the trees to where I am expected, ma'am. Into the woods to grandmother's house. Into the woods to grandmother's house You're certain of your way The way is clear The light is good I have no fear Nor no one should The woods are just trees The trees are just wood I sort of hate to ask it But do you have a basket? Into the woods and down the dell The path is straight, I know it well Into the woods and who can tell What's waiting on the journey Into the woods to bring some bread to granny what lies ahead for all that I know she's already dead but into the woods into the woods into the woods to grandmother's house and home before dark fly birds back to the sky 
Can't you hide it with a hat? You look beautiful. I know. She means me. Put it in a twist. Who will be there? Father said be good. Father said be nice. That was always their advice. So be nice. It's the witch from next door. The old enchantress told the couple she had placed a spell on their house. What spell? In the past, when your mother was with child, she developed an unusual appetite. She took one look at my beautiful garden and told your father that what she wanted more than anything in the world was greens, greens, and nothing but greens. Parsley, peppers, cabbages, and celery, asparagus, and watercress, and bitterbirds, and lettuce. He said, all right, but it wasn't quite, because I caught him in the autumn in my garden one night. He was robbing me, raping me, rooting for my rutabaga, raiding my arugula, and ripping up the rampy and my champy and my favorite. I should have laid a spell on him right there. Could have turned him into stone or a dog, or a chair. <laughs> but I let him have the rampy and I'd lots to spare. In return, however, I said, fair is fair. You can let me have the baby that your wife will bear. And we'll call it square. I had a brother? No. But you had a sister. But the witch refused to tell him any more of his sister. Not even that her name was Rapunzel. I like your idea, Ed, that, you know, the, the woods, it kind of becomes a central metaphor of this thing, right? So, yes. so what is that? Is that the wilderness? Is that life itself? I mean, how do we understand the function of the woods in this, in this piece? Yeah, I, the, the, I, I appreciate the fact that they loved Jung. And Jung is telling us that uh, unless we deal with our shadow side and also the depth of life, yeah. that we're really not dealing with life in its reality and the woods are both the place of shadows mm -hmm. and also it's the place of our depth and i think that that's what the wilderness is for yeah. for the jesus story and that is what repeating lent over and over and over again for liturgical christians is about also mm -hmm. and there's more to be discovered about the complexity of our lives but a rush to, to introduce this theme of the interconnectedness of our lives. I, I, I agree with you, Nathan, about the first act. And there are setups in the first act that everybody's narrative and everybody's story and everybody's fairy tale is interwoven with everybody else. Yeah. And there's this quotation that uh, in, in preparation for this, not only did I, I read, I'm such a good student, I not only read this text, but I found out that there was a, a guy who goes to my church or our daughter's church uh, who had directed this play. Hmm. And so I said, please, 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 let us have a conversation. He sent me these quotations from Sondheim and Lapine. And Lapine is the one who kind of says, you know, our um, psychological maturation, our, let's see, the word he uses, our psychic development mm. individually is dependent on our collective psychic development. Mm. 
Mm. And I, I can't help but read that and think Lent and Ukraine mm. and yes. systemic racism. You know, yes. our living in a violence prone society where war is still an option for certain people and systemic racism, we're not going to get out of that individually until we really get out of it collectively. So all of that floods my mind, Nathan, too much um, verbiage, I'm sorry to respond to your question, but into the woods and Lent, that's what's going on in my mind. So, yeah, so I'm going to riff on that a little bit. So the woods represent not just a kind of individual psychology, right, like going deep into my own id, but actually the woods are where I encounter other people. And and, and in the show, that's really important, right? That's All of these characters are kind of in their own little houses at the outset, but they all come into the woods. So that becomes the, the place of meeting, the place of encounter, the place where I find the other. There are giants in the woods. There are, uh, there are forces that are not quite human, that are terrifying. Uh, there's fear in the woods, but there's also a great kind of freedom, I think, especially in the second act. Uh, the woods becomes the place of illicit encounters. We might yes. a place a place of not either or, but both and. Exactly. So there's a there's a complexity. There's a lot of gray area to the woods in a very kind of black and white fairy tale world. The woods are where everything gets uh, mushed together. But to your point, the woods are where we encounter a society, a community, uh, one another. And, and I think a piece of what we're learning there is, yeah, these characters can't achieve their wishes without one another. Right. They, they, the community is is required in order for these people to to be able to move forward in their lives. Yeah. None of us is alone. Yeah. Right. With our individual stories, with our individual wishes that have to be refined, mm-hmm. that have to be purified. None of us is alone in that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a there's a really interesting sort of loss of innocence function that the woods play, especially in the first act. I think a lot of the first act is I, I mean, you, I suppose Little Red Riding Hood and Jack and the Beanstalk are sort of the most kind of prototypical young young people. They're they're characterized for us as maybe children or maybe right, kind of at the cusp of young adulthood. Depends on how they're cast, I suppose. Um, but Giants in the Sky, Jack's kind of famous uh, you know, song of reflection, we might say. Here's what I and they all kind of get this right. All the characters get a Here's what I've learned. In the first act, right? Like, I mean, so it's like that there, there is a little kind of pre, pre-journey there, right? Like I start one place, I wish for this thing. And then something happens to me in the woods. For Jack, it's that he, you know, goes up, goes up the beanstalk, discovers a lady giant sweeping the floor who draws him into her giant breast. So there's a, it's not quite sexual, but it's not not sexual. There's something interesting yeah. there about Indeed. Jack's, yeah, Jack discover. I think, but I think if I'm a giant in the sky, I think is about there is a much bigger world than I ever imagined, right? I grew up in this kind of little narrow house with me and my mom and my cow. Jack has a weird obsession with his cow. That's a, <laughs> we, won't, we won't go too far into that. There's an interesting Freudian stuff happening there. But, uh, but then climbs up the beanstalk and realizes, oh, the world is so much bigger than I realized, right? Yes. There, are, there are giants in the sky. There, there's a whole universe of uh, forces at work that I never, I never realized. There are giants in the sky. There are big, tall, terrible giants in the sky. When you weigh up high and you look below at the world you left and the things you know, little more than a glance is enough to show you just how small you are. 
When you're way up high and you're on your own In a world like none that you've ever known Where the sky is lead and the earth is stone You're free to do whatever pleases you Exploring things you'd never dare Cause you don't care when suddenly there's a big, tall, terrible giant At the door A big, tall, terrible lady giant sweeping the floor and she gives you food, and she gives you rest And she draws you close to her giant breast And you know things now that you never knew before Not till the sky Only just when you've made a friend and all And you know she's big, but you don't feel small Someone bigger than her comes along the hall To swallow you for lunch and your heart is lead and your stomach stone And you're really scared being all alone And it's then that you miss all the things you've known And the world you left and the little you own The fun is done You steal what you can and run And you scramble down and you look below And the world you know begins to grow The roof, the house, and your mother at the door The roof, the house, and the world you never thought to explore and you think of all of the things you've seen and you wish that you could live in between and you're back again only different than before after the sky there are giants in the sky there are big tall terrible awesome scary Wonderful giants in the sky. So that's, I think, kind of his uh, dawning of maturity, if you like, right? Like the, the world is a lot bigger. And then you've got Little Red Riding Hood, um, who has a, another encounter in the woods. Peter, you, you're, one of your questions kind of in our pre-conversations was, how do, we, how do we understand Hello, Little Girl, which is the, oh song of, the song where the wolf kind of seduces Little Red Riding Hood, kind of pulls her off, off her path. How do we understand that encounter in our kind of post-Me Too era, which I think is a really interesting question. What do, what do we make of Little Red Riding Hood and her, her thing with the wolf? It, it's problematic and it can be quite creepy on stage. Uh, and I think it's supposed to be. Yes. Um, and, you know, Little Red Riding Hood, I don't think actually is not an uncreepy story, even in its original. Um, but it has gotten, you know, papered over with kind of uh, romanticism from the 1950s, 60s parents. And but it, it's a story of a predator mm -hmm. and an innocent. Yeah. Um, and that story uh, resonates in a Me Too time like now in ways very different even than I think it did in 1987 um, just raising all of those issues of of choice and of consent and of uh, even kind of kind of grooming and so forth good day young lady good day mr. wolf Hello, little girl. 
This one's especially lush and delicious. Mm. <sighs> Hello, little girl, what's your rush? You're missing all the flowers. The sun won't set for hours. Take your time. Mother said straight ahead, not to delay or be misled. But slow, little girl, hark and hush. The birds are singing sweetly. You'll miss the birds completely. You're traveling so fleetly. Grandmother first, then Miss Plump. What a delectable couple. Ah, to perfection. One riddle, one chuckle, one moment, my dear. Just so, little girl, any path, so many worth exploring. Just one would be so boring. And look what you're ignoring. Think of those crisp, aging bones, then something fresh on the palate. Think of that scrumptious carnality twice in one day. There's no possible way to describe what you feel when you're talking to your meal. Mother said not to stray, still I suppose a small delay. Granny might like a fresh bouquet. Goodbye, little girl, and hello. In the film, it was Johnny Depp, and I can't remember who played uh, Red in the film. I'm sorry. Uh, but she was young. She was a little girl. She was yeah. like, I, my memory is like 9, 10, 11. And they kind of buffed the edges off the creepiness right. a little yeah. bit. Well, it's it's Disney. They, uh, <laughs> yeah, they they buffed some of the creepiness. But I think, I mean, in some ways, like I wanna, I don't know, and maybe this is the politically incorrect way of under. I I want to preserve the um, what I love about Little Red's then reflection on what's happened to her. Right, I know things now, many valuable things that I hadn't known before. Do not put your faith in a cape and a hood; they will not protect you the way that they should. And take extra care with strangers. Even flowers have their dangers. And though scary is exciting, nice is different than good. There's, oh. there's, there's, there's some kind of really interesting theological wisdom that she comes to. Mother said straight ahead, not to delay or be misled. I should have heeded her advice, but he seemed so nice. And he showed me things, many beautiful things that I hadn't thought to explore. They were off my path, so I never had dared. I had been so careful, I never had cared. And he made me feel excited, well, excited and scared. When he said, come in, with that sickening grin, how could I know what was in store? Once his teeth were bare, though I really got scared, well, excited and scared, but he drew me close and he swallowed me down, down a dark, slimy path, where lie secrets that I never want to know. And when everything familiar seemed to disappear forever, at the end of the path was Granny once again. So we wait in the dark until someone sets us free, and we're brought into the light, and we're back at the start, and I know things now, many valuable things.
I hadn't known before. Do not put your faith in a cape and a hood. They will not protect you the way that they should. And take extra care with strangers. Even flowers have their dangers. And though scary is exciting, nice is different than good. Now I know, don't be scared. Granny is right, just be prepared. Isn't it nice to know a lot? And a little bit not. Yes, she was, um, she was enticed from the path. It was scary. Uh, there's, there's fear there. She was made a victim of. And also she knows things now. And there's a, there's a new, there's a complicated reflection then on what has happened to her. Nice is different than good. She began the story as someone who was nice. Maybe not that nice. She was gobbling up sweets. Um, but, but, <laughs> but, you know, a pretty uncom- there's good people and there's bad people. And I think a piece of what Little Red learns is that, oh, people are much more complicated than that. And nice is different than good. What is that? I mean, theologically, how, like, what is that? Well, that I'll start experientially before we get to the theological, which may, they all blur, right? Mm. Um, but when I was in training for the priesthood, I remember reflecting on a small in a small group about uh, this lady who was uh, particularly prog- problematic and needed a lot of extra grace. And I said, you know, she's just one of those nice ladies. Mm. And uh, my psychiatrist and uh therapist said, uh, do you know what nice means? And I said, no. And he loved etymology. And he said, it's, it's ignorance. Mm. That the, the word nice comes from a word which means ignorance. And yeah. there is a naivete about niceness mm-hmm. that is very different from the world of good, yeah. uh, which has an awful lot of nuance to it. And a lot of, I don't know, uh, wisdom in it. Yeah. And I love the fact, didn't the witch say, I'm not I'm, nice? I'm not nice. Yeah. You're, and she says it to, yeah. to all the other characters. You're so nice. You're not good. You're not yeah. bad. You're just nice. And then she says, I'm not good. I'm not nice. I'm just right. I'm yeah. the witch. You're the world. Yeah. So there is this really interesting playing of good, bad. And then, as you say, this kind of third category of niceness, which yeah. I think you're right. It has something to do with naivete, has something yeah. to do with a very simplistic understanding of the world. I think what Little Red learns is I don't want to be nice. Yes. Nice is not going to protect me. And I right. love I love that as the kind of coming from the voice of a girl who has been made a victim of a girl who's been victimized. Right. Um, yeah. I, I can't be nice. If I'm going right. to survive in this world, maybe I'm in a society that told me I ought to be nice. Little right. girls should be nice. Little girls yes. should be sweet. Little girls shouldn't ever talk back to their elders or, you know, kind of, and what she learns is, uh-uh, that's going to, I will be, I will be further victimized if I double down on my niceness. So there's this other kind of interesting category, which is good. In some ways, I, I think the second act for Little Red might be kind of trying to figure out like, what does goodness mean? Yeah. Am, I, am I good? I think she also knows herself to be not good, right? Both yeah. of those things are present for her, but niceness isn't gonna cut it. And I, I, I mean, there's a piece of me that's like, God, I kind of do want every high school girl to sing that song and think about, right? Like you're in a world that's gonna ask you to be nice. Don't fall for that bullshit. Exactly. Well, nice not, work. not just a world, but I remember hearing Cynthia Bourgeau lecture once about how the meaning of Christianity, and I apologize for the background noise, they're doing jackhammering in my apartment building, um, very annoying, so I hope it's okay. 
uh, Cynthia Bergeau lecturing about how Jesus does not call us to be nice. Uh, the gospel is not about turning people into nice, compliant church members. Uh, nice is about as far as you can get from the radical message of Jesus of inclusion and truth-telling and moving away from hypocrisy. And gosh, that's difficult, I think, for church people where, especially Anglicans, Episcopalians, we are culturally nice people. And I respond to nice people. I know I do. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, and I, so I think this kind of nice and good uh, uh -huh. Uh, question is really alive in, in our churches and in the Christian culture. I think so too. And if I'm going to take it one step further, I mean, part of what I'm learning in my kind of context, and I suspect the two of you will have a version of this too, is that at least in American society, niceness lives right next door to whiteness, right? White people are nice people. So there's a, there's a, um, there's a power play in niceness that I think is very connected to questions of gender and sexuality and race. Um, yep. uh, niceness is policed by supremacy, by patriarchy, yep. by white supremacy. Yeah. Um, so I think a part of what is under the woods is maybe, I don't know how conscious this is, but kind of undermining a little bit. I mean, or one way that I want to think about under the woods is in some ways, this is a show about whiteness yeah. and undermining the power, yeah. the power dynamics, which are often I think policed in categories of good, bad, and nice. Yeah. Um, so then the second act, I think, in many ways becomes the very complicated. And I want to say maybe very, at least at a, in a certain way, beginning to be a very non-European, non-white take on fairy tales. Right. If, if fairy tales function in European society as warning stories for children, we yeah. can think about that. I, that's that's fascinating. Right. What do we think kids are supposed to take away from these from these things? But at a certain level, I think they are stories that police niceness, right? Yeah. Like don't stray too far from the path, obey your mommy and daddy. If a wolf comes, you know, like do not, do not trust that wolf. There are good people, there are bad people. Your job is to maintain your innocence and make sure that, you know, nothing comes between you. And then the second act of Into the Woods kind of calls bullshit on all of that, which is why I think, you know, so I mean, but, but my, I suppose my question for the two of you, you know, there, there are some people that uh, will only do the first act. There are many schools that actually, I think the school production of Into the Woods is only the first act of Into the Woods. Why, what are we so scared of in the second act of Into the Woods and why will we not let our children perform it? So in the current culture, there's this thing about instituting some laws having to do with critical race theory and also inclusion of LGBTQ persons that says, you cannot make my child uncomfortable. Niceness doesn't make people uncomfortable socially. Mm -hmm. And that's how you determine whether or not, not a person is nice is whether or not they make you feel comfortable and make you feel good. That's, a, and, and your comment about the second act being a dismantling of supremacy or is where I went with mm -hmm. your come come in. Yeah, does that work? Is that true? I said that, and now that I now that I said that, I'm kind of thinking like, <laughs> can I can I defend that statement? Let's think about I, the second act, though. Yeah, I think it does. And you can't have an interconnected and interdependent world or be, have an awareness of that and have supremacy in place, because that person, no matter how. Um, modest a role that person may have in the play of our lives just may be the person who who saves us 
And I want to say one other thing before I forget it. And this is kind of really churchy theological reflection. I think that that Into the Woods is about joining the human race and leaving niceness and going into the good and bad is a way of joining the human race. And I think that that's the, the story of Jesus in the wilderness also. Any niceness that Jesus might have been carrying in his heart really got exploded. It, it just, it's just out of there. And I think that's what a good Lent does for us. I think that's what a good relationship does for us. I think that's what a, a good candid conversation does for us. It absolutely sucks the niceness out of the air and brings us into the human race. It's, it's the theology of incarnation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm remembering, as you say that, Ed, uh, Christmas at Christchurch Cathedral in Vancouver when I was dean a few years ago. And our then youth minister, who always the youth minister told a children's story and told it a number of times and crowds of kids came up and all in their nice Christmas, nice Christmas dresses and suits and with toys and looking adorable, just, you know, from a Christmas card. Uh, she told the, 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 the biblical story of the nativity and include in a godly play kind of way with some objects and so forth and included the story of Herod's slaughter of the innocents that we find in Matthew's gospel. The kids were all completely engaged in the story. I mean, I, from my, the vantage point where I was sitting in the church, I could see their faces mm -hmm. and they didn't flinch. In fact, they kind of leaned in uh, because the story suddenly kind of got weird and interesting <laughs> and fascinating yeah but two days after christmas the emails and the letters started pouring in how dare you uh why was your youth minister telling those awful stories at christmas of all things you uh, you were you were terrorizing the children you were uh giving them trauma with no evidence yeah it was the adults who were upset because the nice Christmas had been disrupted with the terrible story of the incarnation. Yeah. I mean, Jesus didn't come into the world and be nice and then everybody was nice. Jesus came into a terrifying, terrible time where tyrants did horrible things. Uh, uh, children were slaughtered just as they are today in Ukraine. And the incarnation, in some ways, confronts that reality, does not shrink away from it, yeah. but confronts it and calls us to a deeper connection and a deeper compassion. Yeah. I mean, in that and sense, I mean, I, th I think this is why work with kids is so important. I mean, certainly in the church context, right? I think all three of us have been in places where we have uh, really highlighted not not just that it's the job of churches to train our kids like you know so that there's another generation of christians but it's like no actually and, and jesus knew this right he said this to his disciples unless you encounter the kingdom of god like a child you're never going to enter it and i think that's a piece of what you're talking about peter kids get it in a way that adults have then forgotten it and so we need actually we need kids for our own salvation Indeed. that's the only way that, or not being not the only way but that's kind of one of the the, the gift of a multi-generational community is that adults get to see that kids are actually 
fascinated and compelled by stuff like the slaughter of the innocents. They're excited yeah. and scared to borrow a line from Little Red, right? So kids get violence. They know the world is a scary place. They're incredibly totally. vulnerable in the world. They, you know, they're on school. They, they know bullying. They know fighting. They know power struggle. Um, I think they are, kids are drawn to stories that reflect that back at them honestly, because that makes it, uh, into a certain degree, not normalizes it, but it makes it, um, like, it's okay to be, it's okay to be afraid. You should be afraid. The world is a terrifying place. Yeah. And also there are people who will help and protect, you know, like, no, I think this is kind of, you know, the great 11 o'clock number of, of Into the Woods. No one is alone, right? In some ways, like that's, I think, where the show, if the show has an arc vis-a-vis uh, -vis children and maturity, right? It's like, it's coming to, I mean, you go into, and to Ed's earlier point, you go into the woods to discover, oh, yes, the woods are terrifying. We should be, we should be frightened. And also no one is alone. There's comfort in that song. And also there's a warning in that song. If no one is alone, then the bad people are also not alone, right? They also have uh, people with them. They're, they're, it's, it's not, you know, we're not a world of individual actors. We're a world of communities. That's the scary thing is communities. So, so be very careful. And also, you know, no, you too are not alone in this, right? There are other people who will come around you. Isn't here now. Things, right things. Who knows what she'd say? Who can say what's true? Nothing's quite so clear now. Do things, fight things. Feel you've lost your way. You decide, but you, you are, are not alone. Believe me, no one is alone. No one is alone. Believe me. Truly, you move just a finger.
the other great wilderness story, of course, in Holy Scripture is the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, and I think one of the things, I think some, we need to rediscover our Jewish roots all the time within Christianity, because the problem with Jesus' time in the wilderness is it's an individual story. The wilderness story in Exodus is about a community and the problems that grow up when you're with each other and trying to journey through dangerous places and dangerous times. So just to your point, Nathan, no one is alone as a kind of romantic, oh, isn't that lovely? None of us right. is alone. It's also There's also a kind of scary part of that. If none of us are alone, then we're kind of stuck with each other. And we kind of got to figure out how these relationships are going to work in a complex mm -hmm. time. No one is alone as a feel-good statement is nice. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 not true <laughs> as a feel good statement. Right. Yeah. No. But the, the truth there is like, you know, uh, someone someone is on your side. Someone else is not. While we're seeing our side, maybe we forgot they are not alone. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it really does kind of ask us to think really carefully around uh, human belonging systems, I suppose. Right. Yes. Like as, oh, as, yeah. as safe as I feel with my people. The other people to whom I am opposed, they feel just that safe because they too are not alone. And they're getting this same, you know, potentially nice message, right? Like we're the good people, we've got this, our job is to, so, I mean, in some ways like that's a, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting phenomenon well, to think about. This, the plays well into the, yeah. this plays well into the theology of Ed Bacon, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, I, uh, so this will air later. Uh, and during Eastertide, yeah. uh, but we're taping it uh, after the fifth Sunday in Lent. And I preached this Sunday and uh, Mary anointing Jesus's feet with perfume came to me, called to me, is that Mary is the person who is our model here. And we are called to anoint the feet of the Christ in very unattractive people. And that is, that's the mature psychic development, it seems to me, is that we are all connected. And Sondheim said, you know, if I could have written No Man is an Island, mm -hmm. I would have. But instead, I wrote No One is Alone. Yeah. And when you have that lens on that song, as a theological statement that underneath everything, we really are interconnected. That gives me great pause. Mm -hmm. It should, right? I think we usually, we, we usually kind of frame that like everybody's connected as a kind of like, hey, don't forget that uh, it, it, it's a nice, it's a nice way of thinking about, like, think about, you know, and some of this is in the song, right? You move just a finger, say the slightest word, something's done, but it's the butterfly effect, right? Like what you do is going to have an effect on somebody else. So there's a little bit of kind of moral shame there, right? Think about your choices, little boy, because yep. somebody else, you know, but what you're saying is that our interconnectedness ought to, first of all, terrify us. Right. I think that, so actually that's, that's that rule of fear again, right? Yeah. That's what keeps us from making that into a nice, safe thing and allows it to actually penetrate a little bit more deeply in me. The fact that we are not alone is, is daunting. Something happened on my journey, and it was an into the woods moment, when one morning while I was praying, and 
I'd gotten to the point in my prayer ritual of praying for the people on my prayer list. The inaudible voice came to me and said, interesting that Donald Trump is not on your prayer list. And that I literally wrote Donald Trump in to my prayer list Mm -hmm. and began to see that he and I are interconnected. And that is scary Mm -hmm. as shit. It really is. Yeah. Well, and as we learned on January 6th, or not learned, but saw in a very kind of, I mean, he also is not alone, <laughs> right? I think that's, you know, we're living in the world right now, I think, that is 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 demonstrating the truth of that song. Absolutely. No one is alone. And that is terrifying. Yes. Um, for every for every tyrant, for every fascist, for every yes. charismatic leader, there is a people who are eating that shit up and following that's right. it. That's um, exactly right. The, the, human, the human need to... Um, to be told that that we're right, to be yes. be on the right side of stuff. I mean, what yes. a scary, what a scary phenomenon that is. Also, I think the phenomenon that we we seek, I mean, that, that that is also the thing that that can save us or that might begin to save us is realizing right that we are interconnected and that yeah. um, and my actions do affect other people. So I need to I need to be really careful around that. Um, yeah. It is it is both of those things at once. I I, I did a Thomas Merton Muhammad Ali journey to Louisville recently. And there's much to tell about that, but one of the, I've not done this and I needed to go to fourth and Walnut where Merton had this great epiphany. And there's even a, a sign there that quotes from the epiphany. It's now called fourth and Muhammad Ali. And it also is now called Merton square. And so I just thought here, I was being nice. Uh, let me have this nice experience in that place where he said, I fell in love. I saw that I love all these people and they are shining like the sun. And he goes on and on and on and on. And I thought, oh, wow, I can't wait to have that experience in a very nice way. And I was flat spiritually. Mm. I mean, absolutely flat. I saw all these people and what I was doing was judging them. Fat, skinny, old, homeless, of color, whatever. And then the inaudible voice said, do you love them? Do you see them shining like the sun? And I had to say no. Mm -hmm. And I sat there until I began to experience Uh, love and honor about each one of those very unattractive people on the street Mm -hmm. of Louisville. Mm -hmm. So I know about, I I think that was an into the woods experience of moving me from nice to something hopefully more spiritually complicated. Yeah. Well, if the witch, so I'm thinking about the witch's terminology, right? Like you're so nice. You're not good. You're not bad. You're just nice. She says, I'm not good. I'm not nice. I'm just right. Yes. I'm the witch. You're the world. I'm the hitch. I'm what no one believes. I'm the witch. You're all liars and thieves. I mean, she kind of goes on. You're so nice. You're not good. You're not bad. You're just nice. I'm not good. I'm not nice. I'm just right. I'm the witch. You're the world. I'm the hitch, I'm what no one believes, I'm the witch. You're all liars and thieves like his father, like his son will be too, oh why bother? 
have another bean. Beans were made for making you rich. Plant them and they soar. Here you want some more. Listen to the roar, giants by the score. Or you can blame another witch. It's the last midnight. It's the last verse. Now before it's past midnight, I'm leaving you my last curse. I'm leaving you alone. You can tend the garden, it's yours, separate and alone. Everybody down on all fours. All right, mother, when? Lost the beans again. Punish me the way you did then. Give me claws and a hunt. Just away from this bunch. And the gloom, and the doom, and the boom. We've talked a little bit about, you know, if there's a, uh, if there's a priest figure in this show, I think yes. it's the witch. No doubt. She's the, she's the, although she has her own journey, right? She, you know, yes. she begins as a kind of obsessive mother with, you know, kind of trying to keep Rapunzel. They actually get one of those beautiful kind of mother, a daughter. Oh, uh, it's the, the ballad that got added in in the London production that now has become our little world. Uh, it's big enough for me. You know, it's her kind of, it's actually kind of a funny little number because it's her obsession with Rapunzel's hair. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot about hair in Into the Woods. I don't, I'm, I'm speaking with two gentlemen who have none. So I, I love you both. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> well, not on the top of your heads. I should, I should. Uh, the I follically know. challenge. The follically challenge. Yes. So this is an interesting musical for us because there is so much about blonde hair. It's just like, a, it's a, it's a tribute to blondness, but our little world, you know, the witch loses her daughter daughter then right it, and actually then in the second act her daughter is killed so that I mean you know so the witch is I think you know at least it, her her archetype is one from losing losing my daughter going in search of my daughter seeing my daughter die and I could not protect her right um that becomes the witch's kind of you know a horrible moment but then you know so then she moves kind of so uh you know you're you're so not you're so nice uh, I'm not good. That's her, you know, that's the last midnight, right? That's kind of her, her great grief stricken, anger stricken, creed decor. She screams at the end of it and kind of goes up in a pop of smoke, but she comes back at the very end of the piece, right? As this new community is being constituted, the baker who has also lost his wife, Cinderella, who's left her husband. They're going to raise this kid. They're apparently going to take Jack and little red in. I mean, they form this little family and the witch comes back to offer that final blessing. Um, so that's, you know, the, the, the great kind of finale of Into the Woods, right? Children will listen. Be careful of thing you, things you say. Children will listen. Um, what, what is, like, what, what, what is that? How, how is she, what kind of a benediction, I guess, is the witch offering to this new family? In that I moment? do want to say that the benediction comes in the midst of the awareness of the reality of death. Yeah. And Into the Woods has death there. And that's not a nice thing to think about. I'm not answering your question yet. I'm just pausing, breathing in the reality of death. And the three of us being clergy in a religion that has as one of its most important moments, the reality of death. Yeah. And that would lead me to think that her benediction has to do with something about new life in the presence of death, that there is life that comes in. And this new community that is developed is a, is a way of experiencing new life. Who would have thought that 
these people would form a new family. Yeah. It's, it's behold, I make all things new. Once upon a time, in a far off kingdom, there lived a young maiden. Careful sad, the things young you lad. say. Children will listen. Careful the things you do. Children will see. It's similar. Thanks for that. Uh, uh, similar to who would have thought that the ragtag bunch of disciples of Jesus, who at least in Mark's gospel get it wrong all the time, Judas betray, Judas uh, betrays, Peter denies, James and John want to sit on the right hand and the left hand. I mean, we know the narrative so yeah. well. It's a lot of I wish, isn't it? I wish, I yes. wish, I wish. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they are devastated. I mean, it's the important part of Good Friday is absolutely to realize the total devastation of that community. Yes. And then uh, with whatever the resurrection is, whatever happened, yeah. they were reoriented and formed a new community of which we are the inheritors, yeah. continuing to pass on the Jesus story. Well, and, and and story becomes, I think that's the right, like that's what the you know, the the baker loses his wife. She he's also grief stricken. How will I how will I raise my child with no? But then she reappears too, right? It's like I mean, there is this kind of interesting. I don't know if I want to call it Christian, that. but like you know, ghosts come back, right? And and what she, what she repeats is sometimes people leave you halfway through the woods. Do not let it grieve you. No one leaves for good. And that's, that, beca- that becomes actually the other theological dimension of no one is alone, right? Is that the dead are not gone. We, are right. nev- we, we, we don't actually lose them. They yeah. reappear. And I think a piece of what Into the Woods is saying is that, you know, what, what the baker's wife said to him, tell him the story of how it all happened. Be father and mother. So the baker gets to play this really interesting queer role where it's like, you are now both this child's father and mother. Right. Uh, you'll know what to do. Yep. And so he yep. takes his child in arms and begins actually with the first lines of the piece, once upon a time. And what, you know, what a pregnant, you know, what a pregnant moment, once upon a time in a faraway land, there was a, you know, a young, young girl who wanted to basically starts telling the story again. I mean, this is, you know, when we, Peter, when, when you and I talked with Rabbi Encounter Ray, Counter Kahana, um, right, that this is the Jewish kind of cycle of, this is what happens when you come to yeah. the, the moment of, diso- you know, it's like you go back to the beginning. 
This this is yeah. all is always this is circular. Every ending is a beginning. Every beginning is an ending. We go back to the beginning and we start telling the story again. So thinking about Jesus and the disciples too. I love that that way of thinking about this new community. It's the power of story, right? You lose. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You walk through the grief. You lose the people that you love the most. And the, our way through is, I think, okay, let's tell the story. Let's figure out how to tell this story once again. And then more to the point, telling it to the next generation, right? Yes. They, they get then to, to own that story, to embody that story, to figure out what it's going to mean for them. Um, that's how this thing moves forward. New life is about having a new story to tell. Yeah. And understanding the old story in a new way. I mean, storytelling on the road to Emmaus is the fuel of that story, it seems to be, that and breaking of the bread, which is the new community. Yeah. We were remembering, as we were getting ready for this uh, podcast, the work of theologian Frederick Beekner, who famously, in a, in a wonderful little book that was huge, has been hugely influential in my life in preaching, called The Gospel as Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale, picks up this whole notion of the importance of story um, and even of fairy tale, not in the sense of nice stories that don't tell the truth, but in hard stories that reveal the truth and the ending opens up to a new story. Um, yeah. And that's very much come to my mind uh, through this conversation today. Yeah, Beekner, Beekner talks about fairy tales as always being about transformation. I think that's his kind of connection to, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is a fairy tale, and I think Beekner, Beekner would say, yes, it's tragedy, it's comedy, and it's fairy tale. And the fairy tale aspect of it, I think he says, has to do with the phenomenon of disguise, right? Good always is disguised, evil is disguised in fairy tales. So that's, you know, in some ways Into the Woods is, is playing with that too, right? Nobody is what they appear to be. But at the end of the day, you know, he, he says, beasts talk, flowers come alive, lobsters quadrille in the world of the fairy tale. Nothing is apt to be what it seems. This is true of the creatures that the hero meets on his quest. It is true also of the hero himself. At any moment, he may be changed into a beast or a stone or a king. We might say with the witch or a dog or a chair. But above all, he says, these are tales about transformation where all creatures are revealed in the end as what they truly are. The ugly duckling becomes a great white swan. The frog is revealed to be a, a prince and the beautiful but wicked queen is unmasked at last in her ugliness. So fairy tales unmask us, I think, is what he's saying, right? We are at the end of a fairy tale. Uh, the true the true us is revealed. Maybe that's an ugly us. Maybe that's a beautiful, I think it's always a complicated, and maybe if kind of in the context of this conversation, a piece of what is revealed then is that um, there, the us is so connected with other people, right? That that's, that's a piece of the, you know, I am, no man is an island. I am not just my own hero in my own story. We are the community that's gonna, that's gonna tell this story. If I, if there's any sort of heroic quality in my story, it's, it's the story that belongs to the community, not to me alone. Um, yes, that power yes, of transformation yes. as being so critical. Um, and I think that is kind of what Into the Woods is about, right? At the end, you, you do kind of, you know, these characters have all been to a certain degree transformed, revealed, you know, that he's no longer the baker defined by his wife. Cinderella is no longer Cinderella. They're, what names do we give these people? You know, they're, yeah. they're new people. They are building a new family. They're not Jack. They're not Little Red. They're not the baker. There's somebody, somebody new, somebody different. They've been transformed. It's a proclamation of the fact that life is journey, not arrival. The last words are, I wish. Yeah. And it is to be, go back to the incarnation argument. To be a real human being is to have wishes. 
Uh, that that is who we are. That's our true self. And to have wishes puts us back in the wilderness. Puts us yeah. back in the woods. Yeah. Thank God. Mm-hmm. You know it. And to the degree we can ever get to a place on our journey of spiritual psychological maturity, we can begin to see the woods as our friend. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I I want someone in my horrible moments of vulnerability to be with me, to hold my hand and also to be able to say the woods are your friend. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I absolutely. And Nathan sort of back to a question you asked earlier, why is often for schools only the first act performed? It's because the journey of transformation is rarely chosen. Mm-hmm. It's usually given to us. And for me anyway, we re- I resist it. Yeah. No, 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 no. I want to stay where I'm comfortable and happy and don't disrupt my life, mm-hmm. uh, my perception of good and bad and nice and not nice. Uh, I don't want that disrupted. So these kind of little volcanoes show up in our in our in our life's journey that take us into the woods we resist it like anything but it's only through that journey that transformation can actually happen i kind of hate it that that's true but i know it that that's true yes 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 i I think that's right for some reason eleanor roosevelt is visiting me right this second uh because (laughs) She said, do something that scares you every day. And the idea of translating that into go into the woods every day. Mm-hmm. And she did that. Uh, she, she did that out of this tough marriage she was in. Mm-hmm. And then she actually formed a very interesting community. And she moved in with this physician and his wife and died in their apartment in New York. Uh, so that strange community that's created at the end of Into the Woods actually took place with this woman. I mean, yeah. it's just there are very mature and wise sages in our lives yeah. who have gone beyond where I am about transformative visits to the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Witches can be right. I think that's, that's how I think the witch functions in the end of the piece is she yes. becomes the teacher, right? She's yes. the, and she's the one who says, careful the things you say, children yes. will listen, right? Which is, yes. the, that is the song of the mentor, I think, yeah. right? Like when you, when you start moving into that, it's like, okay, people are paying attention now. Yeah. I, there's a, there's an extra responsibility because yeah. children sop up everything, yeah. both the things that you say, but even more, the things that you don't say, the things that yeah. you're not even aware, you know, uh, that's, you know, I, I remember talking with Cantor, Cantor Kahana about this, right. That like uh, the, the kind of the Jewish understanding of how we interact with kids. Uh, and this, this comes from, from, from scripture, right. Is that like, they will listen first to your actions. And first, first we will, first we will hear, then we will, then we will understand or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, that this, this idea that, you know, 
in some ways, this is the, the cheap version of that is actions speak louder than words. That's a, that's a little bit of pablum. But the, the, the critical role of working with kids, working with anybody who is kind of on a journey, uh, be really careful, careful the things you say, careful the things you do. Children will see and learn, guide them along the way. Children will glisten. Children will look to you for which way to turn to learn, to learn how to be careful before you say, listen to me. Children right. will listen. So there's a, there again, right? There's a, there's a warning there. And also um, a, a beautiful moment of, of benediction. You know, it's, it's another way of saying you are not alone. Yes. There, are kid, there are kids who are paying attention. Um, yes. When you think you're lost, there are a lot of eyes on you. Um, so think about how you think about how you enter those woods because you yeah. never do it alone. You never, someone is always aware of your choices. Yeah, it's, there's an interesting. If Brother Ed was visited by Eleanor Roosevelt, I was visited by the, by Moses in, in this conversation too, like who did not want to go into the wilderness. I mean, Moses had life pretty good in the Egyptian court. Uh, everything was going pretty well for him until his heart was broken and he saw the suffering of his people. And then God called him. And even then he didn't want to go, you know, he didn't want to do this. I, I, I'm a stammerer, he said, you know, I, I can't really speak, who am I? Yet God called him away from a life of privilege through the horror of the Red Sea, right? I mean, it, it's good if you're uh, the, in the pe people of Israel. It's not so good if you're an Egyptian in that story, which Midrash, and we should talk about Midrash for a moment, uh, makes really clear, and then dies before seeing the promised land but through it all is transformed. I mean, I think scripture is filled with these stories about the reluctance to take the journey of transformation and the faithfulness of God, even within that, even when it doesn't appear that God is being faithful. So, yeah. 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 Well, as we as we come in for a landing on this speech, gentlemen, I'm curious now that now that we've kind of plumbed the theological depths of this very pregnant, very profound piece. What is your what's your favorite moment? Is there a is there a moment of fun or, or a character who just delights you in Into the Woods? Let me start and then over to Brother Ed for the last word. I love the song Agony with the two princes vying for uh, I mean, Male ego and uh, pride uh, just there, uh, but it's a great song and it's, it's so Sondheim-like, like rather than have one tenor sing a fabulous song, uh, a love song, why not have two? It breaks me up every time I see it. I love that moment. It really, is it profound? I don't, I don't care. It's just a, a great moment. Have her to 
It's a great little number on toxic masculinity. I don't know about profound, but it is a a very, uh, yeah, beautiful exploration of of men and all of our foibles. So, yeah. Uh Ed, what about you? My favorites are a tie between the one that we visited many, many times during this conversation. And when the witch says, you know, no niceness, um, you know, I am not nice. Uh, This is about right. This is about truth. Um, that's, that's a powerful, powerful statement. Yeah. And it grabbed me and still grasps me. And the tie is when uh, there is this applause about the both and life perspective. Yeah. Uh, it is not an either or, it's both and. And my brain just lit up in the, both of those moments. I might, I, and that's, that's, I think that's probably the moment I love the most too. We haven't really talked about it, but it's the baker's wife, her epiphany in the, in the second act where she, you know, has this little fling with the prince. She's been sort of, you know, lusting after one, you know, and, and then has this kind of moment of crisis. What was that? Was that me? Was that him? I've got a child at home, a baker for bread. And she, she has this really interesting rest, moral wrestling and comes to, must it all be either, you know, yes or yes or no, or plain or grandma, must it always be either or? And she's like, nope, that's what the woods are for. I mean, so to your earlier point, Peter, right? There is, yes, there's uh, reluctance, there's terror about that invitation to a transformative experience. I think what the baker's wife discovers is there is so much freedom in the woods. First a witch, then a child, then a prince, then a moment who can live in the woods. And to get what you wish only just for a moment, these are dangerous woods. Let the moment go. Don't forget it for a just remembering you've had an and when you're back to or makes the or mean more than it did before now i understand and it's time to leave the world that's the place where and what she says is you know like just remembering you've had an and when you're back to or makes the or mean more and yeah. I think about that in, in the context of the pandemic that we've been through, right? As people start b- beginning to return to church, beginning to return to these, you know, these patterns that we maybe took for granted. I think about the, the first time that I went to see a symphony after, you know, two years of not having been in a room with a thousand people breathing, um, how powerful it was for yeah. 70, 70 instrumentalists to pick up their instruments and start, I started weeping, right? Remembering you've had an and when you're back to or makes the or mean more than it did before. Yeah. Um, so there's something, there's something about, yeah, loss and having something taken away and then coming back to it and realizing how prof- I mean, I, I think a piece of what she's realizing there is that like my ordinary life is the site of such grace. Um, yes. my, my child, my baker, my bread, this little domestic, uh, world that I, I find frustrating a lot of the time, boy, when I've had an, and I come back to that world and yeah. it is it is beautiful. It yes. is graced. And you uh, begin to see your life not just as a collection of moments, but as something much more. She sings, oh, if life were made of moments, even now and then a bad one. But if life were only moments, then you never know, you know you, you, you'd had one. Yeah. So this the, the bigger sweep, and I think the beauty of religion, Jewish and Christian and others, is it puts our lives in a way bigger context than just a collection of moments. Uh, And then opens up this time for transformation as even though it's going into the woods, it's gonna be 
uh, a moment where we deepen our connection with the, with the whole with the whole thing. Yeah. Wow. Well, gentlemen, thank you for this moment in the woods. <laughs> it's been so lovely to to reflect with you a little bit theologically on this on this very theological, very dense, but also very playful and fun and uh, an entertaining piece of piece of theater. Ed, thank you for your wisdom. It's great You're to I, I think both both Peter and I see you as one of our mentors and teachers. So you are, you are a witch to both of us. I, I don't know if that's a, a title you would oh, claim. I like for that. Your, I yeah, like that. You can add that to your uh, add that to your list of uh, honorary titles and things. Yeah, this has been um, very enriching. Thank you yeah. guys. Yeah, thank you for exploring it. With Love us. you, Ed. Love you too, Peter. Yep. Okay. Love you too, Nathan. Take care. Take care. Until Thanks next time. Until next time. The Gospel of Musical Theater is a production of Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Portland, Oregon. Join Peter and Nathan every other Friday right here in your podcast feed and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Gospel of MT. Learn more and support us at trinity-episcopal.org slash podcasts. See you next time.